What's good? What's happening? What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Producers Podcast. I'm John Simmer, the producer for Schlereth and Evans in the morning and the newly appointed Players Club from 9 to 11. I'm joined by KJ Granderson of The Drive. What's going on, my man? Man, I'm good, man. It's another day, another beautiful day to be out here recording and, you know, getting some good conversation about what's going on with uh, our Denver sports right now. Yeah, man, no doubt. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because as I was doing the intro here, we didn't even talk about it pre-show. Um, but we are the two producers of, you know, the two uh, reconfigured shows here on the station. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, Tyler's contract um, ran out. So it's just been kind of DMAC for about the last week or so, just kind of with the you called it D Mac and Friends. Yep, the other day, which I thought was a good title. I, I that's that's exactly what it is because every day is like three to four to five people every day, and and the the listeners probably enjoy because they're like, oh man, we don't know who's coming on next, you sure, know? Yeah, so, yeah. so uh, again, because we didn't we didn't discuss this, and I'm interested myself too, and I always like to bring the perspective of of um, you know, the the behind the scenes kind of because obviously it is the producers podcast. Um, what's it what's it been like for you um, the last couple of days, you know, just kind of because you, you said it's like a it's almost like that Broncos merry-go-round graphic. Yeah. You know, the quarterbacks. But <laughs> right. This time it's just like the different kind of guests that uh, that D-Max had or co-hosts, I should say, um, that's hop on hopped on throughout the week. So what's that been like just from a, you know, a game planning perspective from you and D-Max himself from a producer standpoint? What uh, challenges does that present? And um, also, is it, you know, is it more fun? Is it more uh, stressful? Kind of give the listeners a, a peek behind the scenes. That's a fantastic question. I mean, honestly, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, because a, a lot of the pre-show prep that I do, uh, it's, it's not what it normally is. So, so, you know, when we had our original structure, it was – you know, we would come in, we sit down, we flush out the show, we make right. sure that the segments were about as congruent as we would want them to be. And, and then that's we kind of you, Tyler, and DMAC. Right. We'd all kind of sit in a room and go over, you know, the the ideas, the broad strokes of the show. Right, exactly. But mm-hmm. now we kind of catered s- certain segments to our guests. So, like, you know, for example, uh, lately, James Merrillat, he's been coming on from four to five. Mm-hmm. So, so I would usually write that hour as super Bronco heavy, but ultimately we can kind of manipulate it a little bit as we need because during either the 430 segment or during the 445 as we're getting into the big sweep you know James he's flexible he can be able to talk nuggets he can talk abs if you want to you know talk down on the Rockies he he can do that sure, too so right. it's, it's very fun to be able to have somebody who's that versatile versus mm-hmm. you know some of our typical guests and co-hosts who basically are it's either Broncos or nothing and it's just like when you try to go deeper into certain topics with them, you can kind of tell they're just not well versed. I can hear by the, the deflection in their voice, and it's just like, all right, well, you know, we'll flush that topic out next time, and we'll just kind of, you know, go back to the drawing board on that. So it's been interesting, man, just trying to, you know, get this new process of DMAC and friends down until we can, you know, cross right. over the hump. So And uh, you you said a term um, that I just want to kind of, like, touch on real quick, and you said, like, the big sweep, sweeping basically meaning – 
you're going through the top of the hour. Yes. That's when you hear, you know, DMAC say, KKFN, HD1, Longmont, Denver, or mm-hmm. uh, Stoke and Zach, they always fight for it, uh, <laughs> things of that nature. So when, when we say sweep, that's typically a longer segment that typically sweeps through the top of the hour, meaning you don't have a commercial break. It's just all content. You get you do your obligation to the FCC, which is, say, the legal ID, and then you continue through. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, this is not anything that's, like, out of the ordinary or what I'm no, about to say. But it also makes sense when you guys are like, man, why do the fan have so commer- so many commercials? That's how we why. we make money, man. We got to yeah. make the money, man. That's so, how, yeah. <laughs> that's how my checks get paid. You know, that's how you get paid. That's exactly. how we are able to put on, you know— all I, these crazy I, events. Because I, I know like the listeners, the they ask that question about both of our shows, you know, because oh, yeah. both of our shows have quite the amount of commercials. So Yeah, and I mean, like, everyone, whenever I tune in, it's always a commercial. And it's like, <laughs> dude, I'm sorry. You know? I, I, right, and, same you know, here. And the thing is, you know, as a as a producer, to to be honest with you, behind the scenes, a lot of the times, commercial breaks aren't long enough. Because, you know, Seriously. I'm, I'm, we're doing stuff. We're editing stuff. Or, you know, Mike Evans or uh, Stink or DMAC, I'm sure. Will be like, hey, you, can you know, can you grab this piece of audio, or can you do this specific thing with this audio w- before we get into segment here? Um, and so you have like five minutes, if that, you know, to to kind of work on like making something really quickly, right? Um, and making it sound good at the same time. The biggest question mark in Broncos country the last month has been the lack of consistency. Ability to look competent, uh, production, right? Any any word you want to throw out there? All of the above. When it comes to this Broncos <laughs> offense, man, it's been stagnant. And this was really the meat of the conversation that you wanted to get in on today. And obviously, it's you know in a broad sense, it's the probably the largest topic um, in Broncos country. And I think that's actually kind of a good thing because it was at one point. Hackett's game management, which kind of all coincides with one another. But I'll kind of let you uh, lay it out and have the floor. What is the what is your main concern when it comes to this Broncos offense? Yeah, no, and I think that's a great way you set it up, John. Ultimately, there are a lot of issues with this Broncos offense, and let's start with the fact that it should literally be on the record because it's it's understated that the Broncos backbone has been their defense this season. And I think it probably will be throughout the entirety of the season. I don't see this defense giving up uh, a moment of, 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 you know, outside of injuries. I don't see them giving up anything because the defense is just so in sync and they're getting better and better. Now, to go back to the offense, we talk about the, the deficiencies and the inefficiencies of the offense as a whole. I think my biggest issue with the Broncos offense is why exactly are there – so much or so many problems, not just on the field, but off the field as well, you know? So you coincide, what do you mean by that? Well, you coincide that with, with the fact that the Broncos are having a problem executing in the red zone the way that they should. That's that's one issue. Sure. You got you, you just you alluded to it, the game management issues in regards to what to do on fourth down, field goals, et cetera. Look, to your point, literally the worst red zone team in the league by a large margin, uh, talking about like TDs only. Right. And even then, I feel I'm just looking at um, teamrankings.com here. They're 14% success rate for scoring touchdowns in the red zone. The second worst team, Seattle, at 25%, though. 
So you're talking about a team that is literally <laughs> the only team in the NFL, not lower than 25%, but lower than 20%, but lower than 15% right. red zone um, success when it comes to scoring touchdowns. Which is nuts to me. And, and, and so um, the, the, the totality of, of, of the issues that continue to build up on the field in regards to the Broncos not being able to move the ball, guys fumbling when they don't need to, you know, unnecessary drops. Right. There, There's a stat out there at the current moment that uh, goes back to the 49ers game on all of Alvaro's snaps where he was on the field for 22 snaps. He, each snap was a passing. Right, to tell. Uh, right, you know what right. I mean? And so it's just kind of like teams are starting to pick up on little things about the Broncos that's just like they have some some deficiencies within their players, and I think it goes back to the system. A lot of people want to go back to training camp, and they want to talk about sure. did they practice like enough. Perhaps, and I, and I right. know that can always be a topic. That's an evolving topic that will be around forever and ever. But right. That's just something that we won't quite know until we get the full scale of like the full context of the season itself exactly and I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves it comes down to the fact that all of that does play a part in it but it goes back to the bigger issue of you brought in a quarterback who's ready to win now but you also have a a coach who doesn't want to admit that he has too much on his plate right now like there's nothing wrong with taking some things off of your plate and then well, adding them as you go along. Because, honestly, sure. the old school way of coaching, I know, is just you handle your business, you do what you got to do, just go about it, you don't complain. But the bottom line is we're in the new age now where your your room for success, or should I say your room for error, is become so marginal that it's crazy. So you've got to be honest with yourself at some point and say, in order for me to get the best out of the offense that I want to create, I say I want to call the plays and let Justin Alvin focus on other things of the offense. I want to focus on the plays as far as the head coach, you know, being the one that's drawing the schemes up and calling everything from here on out. If you're going to do that, then Coach Hackett has to understand that a lot of this stuff is going to fall on him if certain things don't go the way it needs to go. Well, now, I think he understands that. And, well, and to, Does he? I think so. I mean, like, of course, I think, I mean, if he doesn't, then he's just completely just not uh, self-aware. Like, in, in the sense of, like, I think he understands that as the head coach, anything that happens, especially offensively, any sort any sense of shortcomings falls directly on him. Right. Whether it's his fault or not, he's the head coach. So I think, yeah, if he wouldn't, if he doesn't know that, then we have a lot bigger problems than we expected, but also because you you touched on it, and I don't want it, the the uh, topic to just kind of be pushed away. Is you said you know he needs to, um, and correct me if you remember the exact wording you said, but basically that he's unwilling to admit his mistakes or like be yeah well to know that he has too much on his plate right exactly that's what i was alluding so wouldn't the the signing of uh jerry rossberg be exactly that though because if somebody and i'll I'll let you speak just right after this like wouldn't somebody who wasn't willing to admit or just not self-aware enough to know that he has too much on his plate wouldn't that same person be unwilling to do this hiring and if it wasn't nathaniel hackett who said hey, I need this to happen, but George Payton, then wouldn't that same person, even if it was who, like, your boss made that decision, 
you'd still have some pushback, maybe a snarky comment in like the media, or you let something leak, something along those lines that showed you like, uh, it wasn't my decision. We're going with it anyway, though. Right. Well, and you make a great point. So to kind of respond back to that, ultimately, he did kind of, you know, give a passive aggressive, you know, remark after the 49ers game about, you know, what Jerry Rosberg and the staff was able to do. He credited the staff as a whole more than he did Jerry. And I, and I get why he did it. And so I know without the shadow of a doubt that when he came out um, before the 49ers game and said that he's been in talks with uh, with, with George Payton and he's been in talks with uh, the assistant GM and, and multiple other people within the organization yeah, about, yeah, it, about, you know, how the game management needs to go and what it needs to look right. like, then I think that shows, you know, yes, he is acknowledging that he has too much on his plate. And I think that hire was above his head. I, that's just my personal opinion. I right, can't because com- I don't even think he had any, um, like prior relationship with Rosberg. So it had no. to have been right. Peyton. But then, then the question would be, and we we just don't know because we would have to be there, you know, to know for sure. But how did those talks go? Was it George Payton approaching Nathaniel Hackett as kind of like a um, like a like a friend, like, hey, man, like, we know this isn't good enough. What are we going to do about it? Was it more like a boss? Like, hey, this production isn't good enough. We're doing something about this. Or was it Nathaniel Hackett, you know, going up to George Payton and being like, I need help in some sort of way because of maybe it's even, you know, the staff that Nathaniel Hackett kind of brought with him. Right. Wasn't doing their job well enough yeah, within well, the communication. Because well, 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 then, you know, that what uh, is before the tech Texans game, correct? Where that leak, that sun, yeah, it had to be before the Texans. That morning, that article, that Rappaport, I think, came out with that, like, the communication wasn't as sound. You know, that kind of gave more of a scapegoat, right. scapegoat uh, for Hackett. You know, was it more of him just saying, you know, I need help because the people that I brought in haven't been good enough, which is still Hackett's fault. Though. Right, exactly. You know, so so we go back to the point of him being able or not being able to admit his faults. And I think him fully being able to admit it, that kind of stuff really won't be determined till over time. Now, to go back to a point you just made there, mm-hmm. I really think that without the shadow of a doubt that he tried to make something work that probably was a long shot anyway. So to bring some context, Brad Miller was kind of like the special analyst slash game management guy. He was kind of like the one that was supposed to be heading everything. And Brad Miller had never coached. He never like been in any organization in the NFL ever. He's been in part of other leagues and other organizations outside of America. Which is a pretty common thing that has kind of been an issue with this coaching staff. In terms of first time anything. First time everything. Yeah. And I and so you get it. I mean, but if Dom Capers is going to be the main person as far as experience sure. is concerned, then it's just like, gosh, man, like the heck are we doing? Like, right. I know you're trying to trust Coach Hackett to hire the right people, but uh, he's never done this before, man. So like if you see that he's kind of hiring people that probably aren't going to work out long term, and I know George Payton is is also relatively new in his position, but he's been around this long enough to know that, hey, man, it's... 
Okay, you know, so I need yeah. I need to step so, in. So should he have stepped in sooner well, and helped Coach Hackett? Let, if, if we're going to be honest, let's bring it bring it in a little bit because um because <laughs> it, and it it's it's so interesting because it is there is so much newness and there is so much. Oh, what's the word? Like indecision or like lack of, you know, lack of just like, again, it's just like there's so many parts to what we've seen. We've seen this before, you know, the, the questionable head coaching decisions, the head scratching plays, things of that nature. But I want to bring it back in back um to the offense specifically because um we went a little bit, which again is is fine, but we went a little bit off more of like the hypothetical land of what hacking, not admitting his mistakes, but what to you, you know, has really been the most problematic instance or issue that you have with the offense itself outside of like, cause the numbers speak for themselves, right? right? It's just, it's been bad. Um, and you know, a lot of times numbers can be um, not necessarily indicative of what you see on the field here. It is. But um, what do you, like, specifically have you just seen that would warrant change? Well, so my biggest thing is outside of Cortland Sutton and Eric Saubert, excluding the running backs, uh, what other weapons down the field does Russell Wilson have that he can consistently rely upon? And I think that— Jerry Judy, inconsistent. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's just kind of like— that's starting to become a huge issue for for me because, you know, I think we were kind of looking, not we as in me and you, sure, but like, right, you Broncos, know, Broncos, right. mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of looking at things uh, with rose-colored glasses in the sense of I think we have enough skill position players that can probably grow and, and groom into something special, you know, with the with the you know, maturity and, and, the, and the essence of a great quarterback like Russell Wilson. He'll be able to kind of pull it all out of him. Well, certain guys are injured, and then certain guys they you've seen it time and time again. They just don't have the talent. Well, so, I think, and I think injury though is a big part, and like usually that's like a kind of seen as like a you know a weak excuse. But I mean, Tim Patrick out for the year, right? KJ Hamler clearly not even close to like seventy percent for health wise, right? Because I mean, you I what. Do you remember a play like you can you close your eyes and vividly remember a play where like KJ was a vital part of that play? I can't off the top of my head. Now I've seen him in plays, right? But I haven't seen like whoa KJ made like a long post twenty round like twenty yard post and Russ tried to throw it to him. So I mean like KJ Hamler has been completely taken out of the equation. Jerry Judy is just as inconsistent as he always has kind of been. Yeah. And um, the one thing, too, like, I don't know why people kind of, like, projected Albert Okawebunam to have some sort of, like, decent to good season when in the same breath we would also talk about how Russ would never use his tight ends. Right, exactly. So to to just assume that Russ is going to change his ways – when it comes to throwing up the tight ends and throwing like in the middle of the field in general, it just doesn't seem like Russ does that at all. Right. Um, so yeah, to your point, if that is kind of how Russ's play style 
is, then you need those explosive big play guys. Right. It just so happens that Jerry Judy trending more of a bust than anything. KJ Hamler hurt. Tim Patrick, not necessarily. It's hard to say if Tim Patrick would still be very, like, uh, would be utilized a whole lot in this offense because he's not like a Cortland Sutton. Yeah. You know, he's not in Cortland Sutton isn't a barn burner either. He doesn't like get down the sideline like a DK Metcalf and certainly not like a Tyler Lockett, but he's just been the only target that Russ can seemingly uh, rely upon when, you know, things break down. So exactly. Yeah. I think to your point, it was a, it was a point of strength, probably what top three positions of strength, probably the, uh, well, probably second to running back, and obviously, you know, not including quarterback, but position group on offense in terms in for the receivers, right? And now, you know, yeah, you have Jerry Judy, who again is just like you don't know what you're getting. KJ Hamler hurt Tim Patrick out for the season. Yeah, uh, here's the line of the podcast right here: a star is being born born in Cortland Sutton. But he can't be the only star in the sky because if it is, it's going to be a lot of dark days for the Broncos yeah. going forward. I mean, and when you bracket, like when you look to, if other teams look at, and this is again, this is, I mean, any fan in Broncos country can can recognize this. So definitely NFL coaches, you know, like them scheming up in uh, Las Vegas. I bet they're just saying, hey, we take out 14. They have no pass game. They, they're not going to be able to move the ball on us. If we just double 14 all game, what are they going to do? They're going to try to just dump it off to the running backs? You know, and maybe maybe that opens up Jerry Judy to have a big big game against Las Vegas. Right. I don't know because, again, got to catch the ball to be able to run with it. That so. is true. Um, but a big – and right, I just wanted to touch on um, touch on this quickly with, with the offense is it um, – with Russ coming in, and I know everything's new, but from watching like Seattle Russ to Russ in Denver, it seems like this year, and it's going to sound, and I might have even said it when we were on last, um, in last episode, but it almost seems like this year is like just a straight up learning year. And I hate that, like, I know Broncos country isn't going to want to hear that. Right. But what did we harp on when Russ came here? He wants to win. Obviously, he's going to say that. But, like, the big thing is he wants to play 10 to 12 more years. I agree. And to, I want to piggyback off of that point you just made. You talk mm-hmm. about no one wants to hear that in Broncos country. Aaron Rodgers completed 62% of his passes in this in his first year of this version of the the Shanahan offense, right, under Matt, Matt LaFleur. Mm-hmm. He completed 62%, and he only threw 26 touchdowns. So to think that one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history and Aaron Rodgers had to also adjust to the learning curve of an offense of this magnitude, mm-hmm. you don't think for one second that Russell Wilson right. is not going to have to learn point. too? Come on, and now. I mean, Russ isn't in the same class as Aaron Rodgers. At all. He's just not. Respectfully. He's not in the same tier. So, but it, And it's like, because I, I listen to like Brock Heward on our station and stuff, and it's like they talk about how this is not the offense that Russ ran in Seattle. He's much more willing to uh, stay in the pocket. You know, he's not looking to roll outside and create those kind of like almost schoolyard plays for his receivers. Right. And it's almost as if, again, it's like a long-term investment. Like Russ has been, you know, Russ has had conversations with Hackett or whatever where it's like, hey, if we want this thing, like it's like a long-term investment. 
if we want this thing this thing to be really successful for a really long period of time, we're going to have to adjust how we play. So, yeah, we're going to have to stay in the pocket a lot. We're not going to move as much because, again, yeah. I, he's only going to get older, so those, those um, physical attributes are just going to deteriorate over time. Right. So if Russ is kind of teaching himself a new way to play quarterback on top of a new offense with everything – Again, it just might be a learning year, and I hate, I know, and I don't even want to talk about that because that sounds like, you know, another, I don't want to say throwing, like another throwaway year because we're definitely still contending for the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. You I still mean, need to, like, yeah. it's not like we're, you know, hoping to go 7-10, and 10, you know, <laughs> right. where it was, like, under VJ or Fangio, but it's almost as if it's, like, it's not only a new offense, it's not only new players, personnel, new coaches, but Russ is literally trying to learn a new way to play quarterback that he hasn't done before, which is also troubling, though, because the dude's 5'10". Yeah, I, can he play quarterback like Tom Brady? Most people would say no. You know, you read the defense, you make your adjustments at the line, then you sit in the pocket and you pick apart the defense. Russ isn't tall enough necessarily to do that successfully, at least – that's what I've been told. Yeah. Do I think he can do it? Probably. I mean, like, the dude is great still. Like, uh, it's not absolutely. like he's a bad quarterback. One of the things we talk about all the time is how great his deep ball is. He has one of the best, if not the best, in the game. Yeah. But he's going to have to learn. That's the thing. And so as I watch these first three weeks and kind of hear what people close to this situation in Seattle and our hosts here – and uh, media members write, you know, and say about Russ and their observations, it almost kind of leads to this idea of Russ is learning too, and he's not just learning chemistry. He's learning how to play a new style of football in the latter half of his career, and that's going to take some time. Yeah, you know know what? I'll I'll close with that last point you just made there. You know, we talk about – what is it going to take to, you know, win a Super Bowl with this crop of, of guys, not just on the field, but also the coaching staff upstairs, et cetera? I think, you know, we talk about chemistry. We talk about, you know, the connection of how to build things of this caliber. It's going to take some time because just because you got all of the, you know, proper chemistry elements to your disposal doesn't mean that you're going to make the magical potion right off the back. Right. And I think sometimes it's going to take a little tweaking. It's going to take a little bit of replacing. It's going to, you know, make sure that you have enough of something else that may not already be here. You know, we constantly harped on it in the offseason, you know, how the secondary, they look good, you know, but if you could upgrade the second corner, that'd be great. Well, you know, they didn't do that. That's fine. Darby's doing great. They wanted the inside linebackers to be better. Well, you know, it's not, but, you know, they're holding their own. Jules looked a lot better. He's looked a lot better, you know what I mean? And so we gave the defense a chance, even though there was still certain positions that, you know, things obviously could have been better, you know, had they been tweaked. And I think it's going to be the same thing on the offense. Over time, it's going to be a, a portion of things that are going to be put together. We know without the shadow of a doubt in 2023, the number one and the number two will be Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton. We don't know beyond that what else this team will look like. But what we do know is that all of the requisite pieces to make this thing go 
are essentially there between the quarterback, the left tackle. You know your number one and number two receivers. You know who your number one running back is. Those are requisite things that will work within this offense. Everything else will probably have to be tweaked along the way, and that's okay. The most important thing is that the Broncos are competing right now, which gives you hope for the future. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, well, I'll just end it on this too, is I used my seat as tweaking. I honestly see it as an overhaul, especially when it comes to your quarterback who's played a certain way his entire career is, in my eyes, completely doing a 180 in his style. And that's going to take some time. And how long it takes is, well, it's, you know, we're fixing to find out. Right. Um, but I think just kind of, it's only been a month, so would anything can change. But from what I've seen, it seems like this project may be a little longer than uh, than I initially thought. So, but it's definitely encouraging conversation. And you're right. We, at least we don't. We're not all things are negative in Broncos country, right? right. We still have Russell Wilson as quarterback. You know, we're still kind of learning things as they go. Hopefully the offense gets a little better so we don't continue to see remnants of, you know, 2016, 2017 when the offense is just getting carried by the defense and we're scoring 16 points a game. Exactly. Hopefully, hopefully things start to uh, look better, and that's starting this week in uh, in Las Vegas. So. That'll do it for this episode of the Producers Podcast. KJ, it's always fun, man. It's always uh, seems like it goes by real fast. I know, man. When it's we crazy. chop it up, but um, plenty and plenty and to uh, kind of digest after uh, after this weekend, and um, we'll be able to do it again next week. So looking forward to, it, man. Hey, same here, man. Thank you guys for listening so much, man. It's been a pleasure, like I told you earlier, to bring you guys this insight. So I'm grateful to be even sitting here. Thank you guys for tuning in. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun thing that we do on this podcast. So thank you all so much for listening. This is another episode of the Producers Podcast, and we'll catch you all next time. Peace.